Well, thank you for your lovely, warm welcome. It is always a joy uh, to meet with you. And it is a privilege, isn't it, for us to come around God's Word and listen to what He has to say to us this morning. We were just uh, remembering this morning in our time of prayer out in the back that um, when we gather together, it's great to have fellowship with one another. But you know, Jesus promises that He meets with us too. Isn't that an incredible thing? Imagine if we could have the President of America to come. Well, maybe not the President, that's not such a good example, is it? Maybe the King of England uh, was joining us this morning. Uh, he's perhaps not such a good example either. Maybe before the Queen passed away, because we all love the Queen, don't we? Imagine the Queen was visiting with us this morning and we said to people, she's going to be here. People would be curious, wouldn't they? People would want to come. Well, we meet this morning with the King of Kings, the Lord of all creation. He is with us, meeting with us this morning. Now, as we just have a little look at this passage in Matthew's Gospel, I want to ask you, um, do you use or are you familiar with social media? Anybody got social media on their computer at home or on, on their phone? Put your hand up if you have. Okay, what, what have you got on your social media? Who's got Facebook? Anyone got Facebook? Anybody got Instagram? Got Instagram? Anybody got Twitter? Twitter? Oh, you've got all three. Okay. Well, I must admit, I try to, to avoid it because I can waste so much time doing this thing on my phone, scrolling through boring articles or mindless videos of cats opening doors or whatever it might be. But people seem to be addicted to it, don't they? Everywhere you look, people have got their phones out and they're looking at their phones. Well, some research was conducted in, in January this year by an organisation called Global Web Index. And um, they did some research and it said that 59% of the world's population use social media every single day. And they spend two and a half hours Two hours and 31 minutes to be precise, probably looking at a phone, doing this, scrolling with their finger. Now, I just want you to think for a minute how that might be influencing the way people think and what they believe. Instagram, the, the thing which people just put pictures on, onto the internet, apparently some of the celebrities on Instagram who have accounts have more than 500 million followers. That's not far off 10% of the world's population following people on Instagram. Can you imagine that? Well, this morning I want to ask you, what does it mean to follow Jesus? In his book, uh, All In, Mark Batterson says this, he says, most people in most churches think that they are following Jesus. And then he says, but I'm not so sure. And he asks the question, are we following Jesus? Or is the reality this? We're asking Jesus to follow us. Could, could it be that I want Jesus to follow me? to serve my purposes or to do my will. 
Um, an admirer once asked Leonard Bernstein, he was a celebrated orchestra conductor, uh, they asked him, what is the hardest instrument to play? And he replied without hesitation, second fiddle. He said, I can always get plenty of violinists who want to play first. But to find somebody who wants to play second with as much enthusiasm, he said, that's a problem. Some of you remember, as we read through the Gospels, there was an occasion where some of the disciples were having a dispute, and Jesus got involved. They were asking, who is the greatest? In fact, Matthew will record that for us in, in chapter 20. And in verse 25 of chapter 20, uh, Jesus says this. Jesus called to them, and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Matthew records just at the end of that sentence, he says this. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. I wonder how many of those people would go on to genuinely follow him. Following is not something we find easy, is it? It doesn't come naturally to us. But for those who follow Jesus... There is blessing and joy and life and peace, even in this broken world. So let's have a think about what it means to follow Jesus this morning as we listen to Matthew and what he has to tell us about the beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Take a look down again, would you, at Matthew chapter 4 and verses 12 to 25. And I want you to notice three things this morning. Firstly, as Jesus starts his ministry and he starts to preach and speak I want you to notice the content of his message I want you to notice the challenge of his message and I want you to notice the consequences of his message now Matthew opens this gospel uh, with a genealogy showing that Jesus was the fulfillment of the hope that was held out in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures and throughout his account, he uses quotations from the, the Hebrew Bible over and over again to demonstrate who Jesus is. So, for example, in chapter 1, he says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And you remember this verse from the Christmas readings, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel which means God with us. In fact, Matthew will go on to quote uh, the Old Testament something like 60 times in his book. And on 12 of those occasions, he'll add this little phrase, or a phrase somewhat similar to this. It may say something like, that it might be fulfilled, as he establishes that Jesus is the promised Messiah or King. Now, I'm going to ask Matthew to, to ping over to you that picture 
if you've got your WhatsApp group. I'm going to go on just a small uh, exertion, if you'll uh, allow me, just to give you a little bit of background. Because as we come to this teaching in chapter 4, it's not in isolation. Sometimes we pick a verse out of here or there from the Bible. We may even have some of them printed and we put them on our fridge uh, or on our mantelpiece. But you know, when we read the Bible, we should always read it in context. Um, and Matthew writes his book very carefully and very deliberately. Now, I, I don't have time, I wish we did have the time this morning to show you a couple of videos that, that do an overview of the whole of the book of Matthew. Um, the Bible Project have done a couple of videos and they're available free on, on YouTube. Um, what Matthew sent out is a sort of picture or a diagram of those videos. And they show that Matthew, who was the tax collector, was brilliant when it came to designing this book. It really is amazing. Now, Matthew was an eyewitness to Jesus' teaching and his ministry. And he's collected and he's arranged what he saw into this amazing portrait. The life of Jesus specifically designed to highlight certain things about his ministry. And I'll give you an example just to, just to whet your appetite and then you can go and check it out for yourself. Matthew wants to show us that Jesus is the continuation of the whole biblical story about God and his people. Jesus is the Messiah from the line of David. He is a new teacher like Moses, and he's ultimately Emmanuel, God, with us. And his book, the book of Matthew, has an introduction and it has a conclusion. But within it, in the middle, there are five sections of teaching, each concluding with a block of Jesus' teaching. And the design is very deliberate, uh, and it is brilliant. Matthew arranges his material to map onto the first five books of the Bible, the, the Torah or the Pentateuch. So right at the beginning, you get the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry. In fact, for those of you who are nerds, Bible nerds, you can check out that first chapter of Matthew and the very word used at the very beginning for the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is used twice by Matthew as he speaks about Jesus' beginning or his history or his genealogy. And um, what you get is Jesus is from this Messianic line. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. Matthew tells us about the unique circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth. And then a little while after, he writes about how Jesus is like Moses. Jesus came out of Egypt. He passed through the waters of baptism. He went into the wilderness for 40 days. Just like Moses was 40 years in the wilderness. And then Jesus goes up to a mountain to deliver his teaching, just like Moses went up the mountain to receive the law. Matthew is showing us that Jesus is the promised greater than Moses figure, who will deliver from slavery, who will speak God's word and save them, or all of us rather, from our sins and make possible a new covenant relationship with God. Well, and there's much more, but I'll leave it there. It really is brilliant. If you want to find out more, 
check out that picture that Matthew sent through or have a look at the videos. Back onto our reading for this morning. When we get to chapter 4, Matthew has told us about the birth of Jesus. He's introduced John the Baptist. He's told us about Jesus' baptism and his temptation. And now we see something of an introduction to Jesus' teaching, his ministry, both in his word and his works. Take a look at verse 12, would you, with me. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, that's John the Baptist, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach. And what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Don't know if you've noticed that. We read over it so quickly, don't we? But Jesus lived in Capernaum. You noticed that before? There's been some speculation as to whether he lived in Peter's house. Because uh, Peter, it's thought, was from Capernaum and lived in that area near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it was a densely populated area, about 204 villages, with thousands of people crammed in. So it was a really busy, bustling area full of thousands of inhabitants. And it was in the north, a little bit like us. They were northerners and somewhat looked down upon by the, the proper Jews in Jerusalem in the south. In fact, that's where that phrase comes from, um, Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a little bit of a derogative term. It's what the southerners called that region or that area. Because the Greek language was spoken there and some of the Greek pagan customs held sway in that region. And this is the place where Jesus decides to start his ministry. A guy called Michael Green uh, wrote a book, a commentary on the, the Gospel of Matthew. And he says this, uh, They may well have been living in the shadow of moral and spiritual death, as their more orthodox neighbours asserted. But on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And he says it's not uncharacteristic, is it, of the Lord to go to the most unlikely place. And that's where he goes to start his ministry. I don't know if you noticed, though, um, Matthew again stresses this concept or this idea of continuity or, or continuation because Jesus' message is not different from the message that we've heard before. In fact, if you go back a chapter to chapter 3 and verse 2, it's the same message that John the Baptist preached. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Matthew uh, tells us the content of the message and that's what I want to think about initially. What does that mean? If I were to ask you, if you were one of the people, cast your mind back to when Jesus lived, I want you to go in your mind's eye, in your imagination, imagine you were one of the people in the crowd listening to Jesus' teaching on any given day of the week. What might you expect to hear? What do you think uh, he might be saying? 
Well, perhaps you might say, well, Jesus, didn't he say, do unto others as they would have, as you would have them do unto you? Didn't he speak in parables? Maybe there's that parable about, about sheep or seed or weddings. Perhaps some amazing teaching about loving your enemy. Well, of course, you might hear any one of those things. But you know, they all fit within a broader context, a bigger theme and a bigger picture and message that Jesus is talking about all of the time. And it's a message that sometimes we miss. On no less than 53 occasions in Matthew's Gospel, he records the idea of the kingdom of God or the word kingdom. It's essentially the same phrase that's used in, in the other Gospels. So Matthew says kingdom of heaven, but in the other Gospels we get the phrase kingdom of God. And that specific phrase is mentioned 30 times in Matthew's account. But what does it mean? And why does Jesus have so much to say about it? Do you know when we think of kingdom, we think of a king or a queen ruling in a place, don't we? the subjects of the king. But apparently in the, the Hebrew language, and even in the Greek, the concept is more to do with an activity than merely just a place. It's to do with one who is reigning. So that's the concept. It means this, it's an announcement about God's reign. Into our messed up world, ruined by rebellion and sin against God, a place that the Bible sometimes refers to as the kingdom of this world or sometimes as the age of sin and death. Into this world, God has come in person. He's come to fix the place and to put an end to everything that is wrong. In short, the king has come. The kingdom is the people and the place where God reigns. And that is good news. Jesus came preaching the good news, inviting people into the kingdom of God. And he was a different king, wasn't he, from those, uh, from the one that perhaps uh, the Jews were expecting to come. They didn't expect the king who would come to suffer and to die. And Jesus says, change your mind, repent, think again. And he starts by welcoming the broken people, the sinners, the outcast, the unclean people, the despised, the rejected people. All of those who were looked down upon by the people who think they're good, that think they're better, that think they're worthy. This is a kingdom where God is king. And as we've said, it doesn't look like some people expected it to. It's an upside-down kingdom where the first is last and the last will be first. Again, referring back to Mike Green's book uh, on the Gospel of Matthew, he says that the meaning of the kingdom has four dimensions. Firstly, it stakes uh, a claim that we are God's creatures and we should serve the king. Secondly, it describes a realm where his kingly rule is acknowledged. And so we enter the kingdom or receive the kingdom by surrendering to the king. 
Thirdly, it points to the future, when God will be all in all, and his will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Matthew is able to speak of this kingdom, um, both in its present tense, because it's come in the person of Jesus, and also in a future tense, in a, a fuller sense, in the future as the kingdom will come more fully. Secondly, I want you to notice, let's have a look down at verse 18 to 22, the challenge of the message. We've seen the content. What about the challenge of the message? As he was walking beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, throwing a casting net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And in the boat of their father Zebedee, mending their nets, he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. I've been thinking this week about what it means to follow Jesus. What is a follower? I wonder what you'd say if I asked you to come up with another word that describes a follower. Perhaps you might say a disciple or somebody who's an imitator, a servant, a follower in this context, because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men or people, is a witness, isn't he? A follower will witness to what they have seen about Jesus in order that they can introduce him to others. To be a follower of Jesus means that we're to become like him. We're to study him and seek to be like him, to do what he does, to think the way he thinks. Do you know, for some, for you this morning perhaps, being a follower may mean letting go of your reputation. Difficult sometimes in work, isn't it? To tell people that you love Jesus and that you follow him. Will that mean I might be overlooked for a promotion? Will that mean that people will maybe not include me in things anymore? It might mean for you that you have to let go of your reputation. It may mean this morning for you, following Jesus means that you need to forgive someone who's hurt you. Very difficult, isn't it, when people hurt us? To let that go and to forgive it could mean saying no to temptation. Maybe there's something, some wrong way of getting something that you want or you think that you deserve or that you need. And being a follower of Jesus means to say no to that thing. It may mean laying down your identity and taking up your cross. For the brothers mentioned here, as we have just read, initially at least, it meant leaving things behind. It says immediately they dropped their nets, they left the boats, they left their father's business for two of them, and they went and they followed Jesus. Now, a, a musician called Michael Card wrote a song about this scene, and the words are, are really something. I think Matthew's going to play to us now but have a little listen to these words speaking about when uh, both 
um, Simon Peter left his fishing boat and when Matthew left the tax booth to go and follow Jesus, what it cost them and what it meant. There's a son, foolish and wise, proudly he's tending his nets. Jesus calls and the boats drift away, and all that he owes he forgets. More than the nets he abandoned that day, found that his pride was soon drifting away, and it's hard to misunderstand or mishear what I'm saying. Uh, the good news is not about what I give up for, for him. Now it's all about what he has done for us, isn't it? But you know, when we recognize what Jesus has done for us, and we have that great sense of his love toward each of us, it does something within us, doesn't it? It changes our hearts. It remakes us new. It constrains us and it replaces our heart of stone with hearts of flesh. In Ezekiel, we read this. I will give you a new heart 
And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And that's what Jesus came to do. Now we must close. So thirdly, the consequences of the message. Verse 23. He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And a report about him went out throughout Syria. They brought to him all those who were sick with various diseases and afflicted with torments, demon possessions, epileptics and paralytics. And he healed them. And large crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from the other side of the Jordan. This section here is really a foretaste of what's to come in Matthew's Gospel. This is what the kingdom looks like. Jesus confronting evil and dealing with it. Healing hurt and broken people. And as we've heard his words and his teaching, Matthew's about to set forth over the next three chapters some of the most amazing teaching the world has ever heard. But these here are the works of Jesus. If you were left in any doubt as to who this is, then take a look at what he does. In Matthew chapter 11, I don't know if you remember, John, he's in prison, John the Baptist, and he sends word to Jesus. And this is what he says. Are you the one, or do we look for another? Do you remember what Jesus said? He said this. Go and tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised. And the poor have the good news preached to them. This message is changing the world. And the question is, do you want to know and come to love the King, King Jesus? The one who would go all the way to the cross, lay down his life, pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. The one who didn't do anything wrong, but lived a perfect life. Loving God and loving people, he died for you. Will you receive that free gift of his grace and his forgiveness this morning? And will you go on to follow him genuinely, wholeheartedly, all the days of your life? Shall we pray together as we close? Lord, we thank you for what Matthew recorded about your life when you were here with us on earth. We thank you as we read the pages of scripture. We see your love and your compassion and your kindness towards sinful people just like us. And we pray this morning we would bow the knee and our hearts before you that we would receive you as our King, that we would accept your forgiveness and your grace, and that we would seek, by the help of your Spirit, to follow you all the days of our life. For we ask it in and through Jesus' precious name. Amen.